so here we are still here on day three and still um, exploring this theme together of coming to life coming to life and I think Gavin touched on it on the opening talk that this coming to life with its variety of meanings which hopefully um, we're getting a feeling for one aspect of this coming to life coming towards life not hanging back not staying um, in the safety of our known habits and patterns coming interested in the detail in the stuff of life and I think uh, from some of you I've had the pleasure to hear this you know the Vedana practice very much feeling like that's what it's doing yeah. we're coming to life we're looking into life we're kind of immersing in the details one so one meaning getting intimate with getting closer to and the other uh, meaning of coming to life um, of this enlivening and this waking up yeah. coming alive now when I was reflecting on this earlier I, I had suddenly I had this image from um, from the lion the witch and the wardrobe you know, the Narnia Narnia stories so hopefully most of us kind of have a sense of this you know this really beautiful world yeah of of, um, of narnia uh, where things are different L loved those books when i was um when i was growing up and uh i think i i i, I have probably read them as an adult as well i'm pretty sure probably more than once so the image that was coming to me as i was reflecting on this coming coming to life um so in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and if you don't know the book and, you know, even if you've read it somewhere sometime and you don't remember, I'll tell you the important bit um, right now for this. So the image that was coming, so in the book, there's this, um, this queen who's very icy and uh, she's a tyrant. And the way she punishes those who don't, um, don't go along with her way of ruling, it's very cold hearted way is she turns them into um, statues I can't actually remember if they're actually ice statues or not but they're statues that's the important part for what I want to say and so this whole kingdom is kind of living in fear yeah and living in this sense of needing to hide and to stay disconnected and to hide um, beauty and joy and playfulness and kindness all these qualities and when somebody um, kind of breaks that rule they they get turned into a statue and the image that came uh, to me today from from the story is um, what happens you know when change starts to come transformation starts to come and at one point 
um, that the hero, heroines and heroes of this story, they go right to the heart. Yeah, they go right to the castle of, of this queen. And the whole courtyard, the whole garden is full of these statues that were once alive. And they come through with uh, the power to bring things back to life. To bring things back to life. Interestingly enough, it's with the breath. <laughs> Just thinking about it today, I swear I've never thought about it before. Yeah. So by this breath of kindness, this breath of compassion, this breath of equanimity and of joy, these statues come alive again and come back uh, into being alive. So, you know, you have to humor me. I, I love this image. And for me, really, uh, I really loved it. That sense of um, that breath bringing alive that which has been held back yeah either because of one's own choice or from external forces and the interesting thing for me the, the way the image first came and then i've kind of developed it a little bit was that i thought that interestingly enough sometimes our image of equanimity is actually like these statues <laughs> something that's very still yeah inactive even detached yeah i mean that's very separate sometimes that's our image of equanimity um both when we hear the word and also when we hear the teaching around it it can feel like that something that's apart from the world and so i'd like to go more into some of this today and as we've touched on through the days you know, equanimity has many aspects, many flavors. You know, some of them are, you know, stillness is a flavor of equanimity. Um, poise. Gavin was using that word, I think, yesterday. I also love to use it. Poise. Um, balance. So there's different flavors. And, and I really want to highlight, and Gavin touched on it yesterday as well, that with all of that, some of the way we hear and we see equanimity is also as this detached or disconnected aspect, detached or disconnected. And it's, it's very natural that we'll see it that way. And I, I'm hoping that through the talk, we'll be able to, to explore more. Yeah, because, you know, I would say that a lot of the time um, or most of the time, uh, equanimity actually has these qualities of intimacy yeah, and of interest it manifests in a different way. So more about this coming up. And that was the trailer. And if you've only watched the Narnia films, please read the books much better. So in a group today, um, we had a really beautiful kind of reflection and exploration on the richness of Vedana practice, yeah, the practice that we've been doing today, richness of Vedana practice. And one question that we were exploring, um, which I think kind of resonated with a lot of us, was, you know, seeing the pull of the pleasant, you know, seeing the pull of the pleasant. When there's pleasant, there's a pull towards the pleasant. 
um, understanding that this is a pull towards the pleasant and kind of okay it's it's not in the pleasant what's we'll get to what the it is if it's not in the pleasant um if the pleasant isn't it uh then what is it about yeah really deep and rich and valuable question you know what is it that we're searching for yeah. why are we practicing what's the story of equanimity yeah. if it's not in the pleasant what is it that we're looking for or another way that that we could phrase it um is actually where does happiness lie or what is the greatest happiness what is the greatest happiness what is the deeper happiness that's available to us as human beings. And I said, you know, this is a really important question. This is the question the Buddha asked. Yeah. That led him all the way. Yeah. All the way to this realization that we're reaping the benefits of. How can we, uh, what causes suffering and how can we be free of it? And the opposite of that is, you know, what is happiness and what is the greatest happiness? that's available to us. So there's different things said about it in the teachings, obviously. And I, I just want to use a, a short quote here from a sutta called the Mangala Sutta. Um, I'm going to put it into the chat because I know the question will come. And the sutta Mangala means garland like a, a, you know, a garland of flowers, a necklace of flowers. But um, it's usually translated as um, Sutta of the Greatest Blessings or the Greatest Happiness. And so this is just one very short part from it. And here's, here's what the Buddha says. Um, actually, in response to the question, what is the greatest happiness? <laughs> That's the question that is being asked. And, and this is a, it's a very long response, but this is part of it. Near the end. To live in the world with your heart undisturbed by the world, with all sorrows ended, dwelling in peace. This is the greatest happiness. I'm going to read it again. To live in the world with your heart undisturbed by the world. With all sorrows ended, dwelling in peace. This is the greatest happiness. So I wish I could ask you what you make of that. Um, I mean, I can ask you, but <laughs> you probably haven't got time. To, to go into it. But I think when I, I, I love this, I love this verse. Um, and yet I think for many of us, when we read it or hear it, part at least of what we hear is exactly that form of equanimity that I was talking about. A sense of being apart from the world, separated from the world. A sense of a heart that is undisturbed by the world therefore means to some degree detached, indifferent. 
And this is very much a description of equanimity, very much a description of equanimity. Um, and the stillness, yeah, the undisturbed heart, and this is, of course, my understanding, you don't need to agree. The stillness and the undisturbed heart that the Buddha is referring to here, um, it's not a heart that isn't touched. It's not a heart that does not care. It's not a heart that isn't moved to act in the world. It's not a heart that's indifferent or detached. But it's a heart that has the capacity to find stillness within, to find refuge within. A heart that can find stillness in the midst of, you know, the way life throws us around and knocks us about. Yeah, with its ups and downs. And so one image that is often used for equanimity is this, you know, a ship um, and the ballast of the ship. Yeah, that bottom narrow part of the ship that's deep in the water. And that's what keeps the ship in balance. Yeah, it keeps coming back to that central point with the waves and the winds. Keeps coming back. And that's one, um, one image that's used for equanimity. Um, another um, image is um, like the eye in a storm. Yeah, the still point, you know, point of stillness within a great hurricane or tornado, you know, great storm, but right in the center, there's stillness. Right in the center, there's stillness. So the first two lines, really, really meaningful. To live in the world. Listen to this. (laughs) To live in the world, not to live outside of the world. Not to live on some mountaintop. Not to live in some cave. To live in the world with your heart undisturbed by the world. When we can find that still point, that refuge, we can find that that gives us the strength the resilience the balance to be in the world with its ups and downs with its its joys and sorrows with its challenges to be there and at the same time to be resourced and this also really frees up our energies to respond when we can find that stillness, not outside of our lives, but within. So with all the sorrows ended, this is the third line, with all the sorrows ended, dwelling in peace. So what are these sorrows that have ended? I think again, um, for many of us, certainly this is true for me, uh, you know, listening to that, the, the immediate sense is, oh, you know, there's going to be a, a time when, you know, there's not going to be sorrow. There's not going to be body pain. There's not going to be heartache. There's not going to be disappointment. You know? And, you know, just when I'm saying it now, you know, we can, we can feel that. We can feel that aspiration. We can feel that love, that care for ourselves. 
But do we actually even think that's possible? Would we even want that? Is another question. So the sorrows that have ended are not, you know, the, the, the sorrows of having a human body. That's susceptible to pain, to injury, to illness. You know, the Buddha in the suttas, he had back pain. How often is that talked about on meditation retreats? You know, the Buddha had back pain. He was sorrowful when his dear friends died. He knew grief. So not beyond, not outside of this human experience. The sorrows that have ended are the dukkha of the push and pull. The demand of life to be a certain way and the reactivity. And this is where, you know, this is part of where Vedana practice becomes so rich because it's, it's the starting point almost of this whole process of escalation. So if something is pleasant, we don't even notice, but it becomes from just pleasant. Yeah. It becomes something I like. Ah, here's the I. <laughs> I like. Something I want. That's even stronger. Something I need. Something I must keep. So this process of escalation, which as it builds up, more and more sense of self, more and more, more and more dukkha, more and more suffering, coming together. So the sorrows that have ended are the dukkha of this, of the reactivity of the demand, of the trying to control and arrange life so it will be nice for me. And the peace, dwelling in peace, a peace that is not dependent on things going my way. The sorrows that have ended bring a peace that is not dependent on things going my way. And a well-being that is not dependent on things being pleasant. We're back to that question. (laughs) Where was it? I'm going to repeat it. If it's not about the pleasant, then what is it about? So well-being that is not dependent on things going my way and it's not dependent on the being pleasant in the way we usually see pleasant. I'm going to add that. So I want to, I want to give an example from my practice. Um, this was a few years ago. I was doing a, a personal retreat at Guy House and uh, I love walking meditation. Um, so I came out one morning uh, ready for a long walking practice outside. You know, I had my, I even remember I was ready, my water, my, maybe even my flask. I don't know if it was winter or summer, um, the right clothes, you know, that was ready, you know, had my patch, everything was going well, started to do my walking practice. Um, and then, and then, and this is guy house, right? Perfect. 
in every way for meditation practice. What could go wrong? Um, a hedge trimmer. Someone started <laughs> trimming the hedges. And so it's this, you know, really unpleasant sound in the environment. Really unpleasant sound in the environment. And there's the whole process. Just there revealed. Yeah, here I am, all set up, gonna have a wonderful morning of walking meditation in the garden, and this terrible noise, unpleasant. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't want it. Yeah. It's really getting in my way. You know, my meditation is absolutely crap. And then the escalation grows more and more. How why the hell is someone using a tool like that at Guy House? What, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? I'm going to write a note. I'm going to complain. At that point, when I mentioned the note, and so an image of the notice board in the hermitage came to my mind, because that's where the little pieces of paper and pens are to write notes, I actually realized that they'd actually left a note on the notice board the day before, yeah, telling us that, you know, we apologize, but we're going to trim the hedges tomorrow morning <laughs> in these parts of the garden. Anyway, this is just the humorous, humorous twist. Um, it's, not, it's not actually what I wanted to, to talk about. So I remember that, and that started to pop the balloon, yeah, of this whole buildup. And I decided, yeah, I could have gone to the front garden instead of the back garden. Yeah. I could have gone inside and sat. But I decided to actually carry on practicing. And my interest was alive. Interest was alive. So I decided to practice using the sound. Using the sound, doing a practice that is very close to Vedana practice. It's, it's one step before it, which is staying at contact. So just staying at the contact of the sound with the, the hearing consciousness. Just staying there, staying at contact. And this is where things are interesting. So staying with that contact and the Vedana of it, unpleasant. Yeah. And the contact, unpleasant. And the contact. With interest, with motivation, with kindness, of course. goes without saying. And then the experience changes. The experience changes so the degree of unpleasantness goes down yeah why because this is actually a fantastic object for meditation yeah it's so easy to keep the mind yeah. to keep the attention with this level of noise yeah. really easy and you know where it's also been practicing for a while you know it's probably there for a week already there's plenty of space yeah. so it's not in my head, there's plenty of space. So staying with contact, yeah. staying with contact, no escalation, yeah. no escalation. And the pleasant, uh, the unpleasant actually changes. Yeah. I won't say it, I won't tell you it became pleasant because I don't think it did. Yeah. But it didn't stay unpleasant to the same degree. And it certainly lost that sense of problematic instead of being something that gets in the way, 
It actually was something helpful. Actually was something helpful. And so that shift, you know, what is that? And the sense of well-being that comes with that. Finding the stillness within, finding the refuge within, within our own inner experience. And how it is made up, how it is created. And then, um, yeah, a lot of well-being, actually. A lot of well-being. Really juicy, productive, beautiful practice. Not dependent on the pleasant. Not dependent on the pleasant. And so this is, you know, yeah, being a guy house, practicing intensely, those conditions, much more likely to have this capacity. But it's not limited to those conditions. This is something we can do. Yeah, this is something we can do. And, you know, really, we've been cultivating this with interest. That sense of interest is so important. If we can bring interest to any experience, the chance that it will change is huge. It's huge. And the chance that the possibility that we will find some well-being within that experience and you know i'm not making this up or it's not just based on my experience i've been hearing you yeah. saying similar things over the days so this possibility of equanimity when we go deep into the experience and we can stay with something at a less built up level than it usually gets to that's one way we discover it, one way we uncover it. And we also um, nourish it, cultivate it. So when we're not blinded, yeah, the push and pull of our lives, this is such a habit. Gavin spoke about it this morning. Yeah. Looking for the pleasant or the unpleasant, looking for these stimulations and excitement. And when we're not blinded by that, when we're not blinded by demand and reactivity, we can see so much more beauty. So much more beauty, so much more loveliness. Again, this is from someone here on the retreat, you know, seeing, you know, that even when there is something unpleasant in experience, there is equally something pleasant available through ju just through awareness just through being aware, just through the knowing, just through the knowing of experience. So when we're not blinded by the push and pull, we see the profound and the exquisite right here in front of us, yeah. in the very ordinary. This relates also to the Vedana practice, you know, this whole realm of that which is neither pleasant or unpleasant, where most of our life is. Yeah in what is called the neutral, or um, I call the uneventful. Mm. Nothing much going on. And yet when we bring attention to that, when we bring interest to that, then, whoa, you know? Beauty is revealed. You know, depth is reve revealed. You know, just the, the movement of a leaf 
in the wind, patterns of light. It's really ordinary things that we normally would never pay attention to. Just the brilliance of something really ordinary like this. You know, who invented this? You know, a gla glass, you know, who, who came up with glass? It's, it's brilliant. And we just don't, you know, we don't notice it because we don't pay attention, because we're not interested. But we can kind of almost, you know, depends on your conditioning a little bit, it almost be on a kind of endless trip, you know, when we just bring interest to the ordinary. So a peace and happiness that are rooted in seeing a wide and expansive view and that can hold joy and sorrow side by side. This is also a really important aspect of equanimity. We don't need to choose. If one is there, it doesn't mean that there's no room for the other. There can be sadness and there can be um, well-being at the same time. don't need to choose that dichotomy it's just another habit of mind we can hold joy and sorrow side by side so the the word um, that's most commonly translated as a as equanimity the Pali word upeka which is that the, the mostly the concept we've been talking about here um, it's Literal translation is to look over. Yeah. So again, image I always have is being somewhere really high with a really big view. Yeah. To have a sense of a big view, a big perspective. In the Buddhist time, the colloquial use of the word, the common use of the word, meant um, was um, to see with understanding. I love that. <laughs> to see with understanding or to see with patience. And you can see again to have to see with patience to have a long view yeah we see things over you know a long period we have a long view backwards forwards um, to see with understanding to see deeply yeah we see deeply it's not just the surface that we're responding to so having both a wide picture and perspective and a very deep seeing and, you know, this is another way of saying wisdom. So equanimity and wisdom, very close. Yeah. Equanimity um, rooted in wisdom and revealing wisdom and supporting wisdom. And so I'm touching on different aspects and, you know, the image that's coming to me now is like this, you know, like a, a very, um, a very fine jewel. I've got, I have no knowledge of jewelry, I have to confess, but precious stone with many, many facets. Yeah, it's got many, many facets. Mm. Equanimity is like that, so many facets, but whichever way you look, yeah, it gleams. It shines, it radiates. So it's a quality, it's an, um, yeah, I haven't got a better word, of, better word than, than um, quality. It's 
a quality of deep ease, yeah. being able to hold joy and sorrow side by side, deep ease, deep peace. It's also deeply responsive. If we go back again to that sense of it being something removed, that when we're equanimous, we are removed from the world, deeply responsive, deeply responsive response. Yeah. So this big perspective, yeah, this wide perspective, this deep seeing, um, sees what is calling for our engagement, sees what is calling for our response, yeah. and sees this picture widely and deeply. And from there also sees the possibility. What's possible? What response is possible? And with that uh, kind of another of our patterns falls away, that sense of attachment to particular outcomes and results. This is also an aspect of equanimity. Seeing what is calling for our engagement and our response, seeing the possibilities that are available to us and then letting go of attachment to particular outcomes. So doing what we can, doing what is needed, doing what is possible and not being attached. And if, you know, any parent here, <laughs> you know this, yeah, you know this really well. And you know the potential dukkha and you know the potential freedom. So all of this, you know, that sense of seeing what is needed, seeing what is calling for a response on any level, yeah, in, our, in the immediacy of this moment, yeah, with the breath, with the body, yeah, in our relationship with another, in our uh, responsibility to our societies and our planet. Yeah. On any level, this is true. We see what is calling for our engagement. We see the possibilities of response. We let go of attachment to particular outcomes and we do the next right thing. The next right thing. That's just leading in the direction that right now feels the most appropriate. So this balance of equanimity, non-demanding and non-reactive and at the same time responsive. In the Tibetan tradition, they have a beautiful phrase for this. They say equanimity is about being equally close to all things. Yeah, I just can't say how much I love that. You know, we come back to that sense of intimacy, not being separate, equally close to all things, intimate with life in all its manifestations, interested in life. So the Dalai Lama, our beloved. Does anyone remember how he refers to the Chinese government? So when he speaks about the Chinese government, he says, my friend, 
or my friends, the enemy. My friends, the enemy. Don't need to say anything else. <laughs> you know, and just that, you know, just that. Why doesn't he just say, you know, if he's so full of metta and compassion, why doesn't he just say, my friends? And if he's so clear and wise, yeah, and sees the harm that some of the actions that the Chinese government is taking are causing, why doesn't he just say, my enemy or the enemy? But he says both, my friend, the enemy. He says the two together. Because together they give a, a more full picture. Yeah, we see things differently. And harm is being caused. And yet, and yet, there is metta, coloring, yeah. coloring. And when I hear that, when I reflect on that, kind of the question that really comes to me is like, what would it be like to experience life that way on a regular basis? Yeah. What would it be like to experience life that way on a regular basis? And just that reflection inspires, because it's possible for us. It's possible for us. And just that reflection, that little quote, that mini sentence, gives us the flavor of the possibility to really rest back into this wide view and perspective, to be sustained from deep within, and at the same time, to be in life, in the world, yeah. to have a view, to have a stand. If this sounds kind of too distant or irrelevant, yeah. don't lose heart mm -hmm. because it is accessible. It is accessible for all of us and we're cultivating it right now. As we're deepening our capacity to bring kindness and interest to experience. It's exactly that, exactly that marriage, that combination, as we're lessening demand. So I want to go back to that Nanya image that I started with, or was near the beginning. And that image of Aslan, this enormous golden lion, walking amongst these statues and breathing on them to bring them back to life. It's what an image, you know, this golden, enormous lion who is actually, and again, I only thought about this today. Um, he's really the manifestation of these Brahma Viharas, of these immeasurable qualities. You know, his metta and compassion and joy and equanimity and bucketfuls. This embodiment of these qualities. And 
these four, it's not a random thing that they're um, kind of brought together as a family. Metta, this kindness, this friendliness, compassion. The capacity to feel joy that is not self-centered. And equanimity, all four together. Deeply interwoven and interconnected with each other. So metta um, is the opposite of ill will. Yeah. You think about you know, metta, this friendliness, this goodwill, the opposite of ill will, of wanting harm for someone else on any level. And the more metta grows, the more boundless and limitless it becomes, not just in where it reaches, yeah, not just in how far it goes, but also in who and what it includes, yeah. including my friend, the enemy, yeah. including the own, uh, um, our own mind states or personality traits that we wish weren't there, yeah. including unpleasant sensations in the body, including um, the difficult and the painful in the world. So the more boundless and limitless it grows, it dissolves boundaries of self and other. And maybe yesterday in the meditation, some of us had just a taste of that last night. Yeah. That when metta becomes strong and just radiates out, yeah. at some point, um, that sense of somebody radiating metta to somewhere starts to dissolve and to drop. And as that happens, the boundaries of demand, of personal preference, of reactivity also dissolve. So as metta deepens, um, non-ill will grows. Yeah. So as metta, ill will, non-ill will grows. And non-ill will is another really important aspect of equanimity. We can start to see the connection, to see the connection. So not just, not necessarily having the goodwill, but just the, the dropping down of the ill will, a much more uh, calm, um, or the word that Gavin was using, neutral space. And I don't know if you can see this. If you can't, don't worry about it. It's a little bit complicated. But that's one way where that connection, uh, that bridge is built. So all of this is really relevant to our lives. Yeah. Our practice on the cushion, our practice beyond the cushion. Really relevant. Whenever we're meditating on the cushion, yeah. whenever we remember the meditation object, whatever it is, can we bring kindness and interest? Can we um, enliven, bring to life our intention for practice? Yeah. And these are things that we can also take forward um, into areas of our life beyond the cushion and also beyond retreat. We'll be talking more about this tomorrow. Yeah. Having refuge in the body, having refuge in our intention, having refuge in the breath. Mm -hmm. 
remembering what happens when we bring interest and kindness towards experience. This is all available to all of us. So let's take a moment of silence together to bring this talk to a close. May our practice together nourish stillness, refuge, and the deepest happiness in all our hearts. And may our practice together continue to support the well being and the ending of suffering for all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.